May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Okay, quiz for you. Which button in the elevator is pushed more often than all the others? No, Josh, not the call for help button. Okay, and not lobby. I'm sorry about that, Gail. No, the most, that's right, Senior Warden, the most push button in any elevator in the United Kingdom or the United States is the close the door button. And in fact, if we ever allowed to get back on those cubicles, uh, in the, one of those cubicles again that transport us up and down, you will see the close the door button is the most, is the, is the most used and the most kind of worn. Uh, you know, you, you know why. I mean, you know, we get on those conveyances. We want to get in, shut the door, take our ride up or down, take care of business, and close the door on that task so we can go on to the next one, right? You know, one young English theologian that I've come to really admire says, look, the close the door button is not connected to anything in the control panel, <laughs> It's just put there for us to work out our anxieties, just pushing, pushing, pushing the button that's connected to, to nothing. I, I know the feeling about this close the door. I have gone to the Lord and said, I'm ready, Lord, for you to close the door on this COVID-19 thing. Lord, I have learned my lesson and I'm ready to move right back into my old life, which shows exactly the opposite. Uh, that I really haven't learned anything yet, and the Lord is determined to teach me, no matter hmm, how long it takes. I essentially have closed the door on any growth that I might have because of that. You know, uh, St. Paul has choice words for people like me. He says, those who set their mind on the flesh... Uh, cannot please God. But those who set their mind on the Spirit can. To set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The great Eugene Peterson, uh, the Greek and uh, Hebrew scholar who died just last October, uh, interpreted Paul's words in this way. He said, those who think They can take care of it on their own. Those who believe they can do it on their own end up uh, spending their time admiring their moral muscle. They just never put it into real life. And those those same people do uh, ignore what Uh, who God is, and they ignore what God is doing, and therefore they cannot please God. They cannot please God. That's living by the flesh. And oh, I know about that. I mean, last Friday, I was storming around the house going, I don't know how much longer I can handle this. How long am I going to be trapped in this house? I got things to do, people to take care of. And Kay looked at me and said, Pat, it's only been three days. <laughs> Don't you know she is looking forward to the years of our retirement? <laughs> but what hope is there? What hope is there for a man like me and for 
perhaps like a woman or a, a man like you? What hope is there as uh, we lean on ourselves when God is clearly during the season calling us to lean on him and to, and to learn? The answer came to me from an unusual place. Uh, it came from the greatest living Old Testament scholar in the United States. His name is Walter Brueggemann. He is 87 years old, and he still is incredibly wise, and he minces not one word. And he says, he says this to all those knuckleheads like myself. He said, there are three phases of the Christian life which are absolutely mandatory. They are essential. And if you try to skip one, well, you end up in the ditch. He says the, he says the first stage is orientation. Uh, uh, this, the next one is disorientation. And the third is reorientation. So orientation, uh, 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 what did I say? Disoriented and then reoriented. Uh, in the first phase, when we're oriented, uh, we come to that first flush of faith, you know, when um, at whatever age you were at this time, uh, you conceded to the love of Christ and he entered your life and he began He began to show you the way and he began to assuage your sins he began he began to uh, to fortify you and release you from all the stuff that had been hanging around you uh, and you began to enter into this life where things fell generally into place you know pretty much into place and you went on you were oriented that's the way god plans it to to begin to claim us as his own but there comes a time uh, when things don't no, no longer operate that way, um, we become disoriented. Uh, let's say the loss of a job, which I know some people are going through right now, or the death of a spouse, or a reversal of health, or a family situation that you just didn't see coming. All those things that tend to disorient our life. And uh, occasionally in this disoriented time, uh, we have a mentor that's fallen from grace. And that person, let's say this gracious good woman, we find out um, has really clay feet and she disappoints us. Or perhaps our church, our parish church, is just not all it was cracked up to be. And we got hurt in the crossfire of something, you know. And so many people, so many people, when that happens, they drop out. Well, you know, God wasn't here for me. That's it for me. I mean, I have a man in my neighborhood who's 94 years old that people are bringing up to me all the time. And 30 years ago, his wife died uh, terribly of cancer. Uh, and he, at that point, uh, completely dropped the faith. He completely said, well, God wasn't here for me. He didn't make everything okay. And I can certainly understand the pain of the man as I so dearly love my own wife, um, but those things are going to come and we become disoriented. Now, those people who persist, says Brueggemann, become reoriented. That's what happens. You become reoriented. And this, is the, this is when we begin to enter into a mature faith. We, we give up that paper-thin China doll faith that we've been carrying around, and we take on an anti-fragile faith that can that can endure. 
And we no longer imagine that the Lord who was crucified for us at the hands of, uh, of, uh, of, a, uh, of a terrible power uh, is going to make everything smooth sailing for us. We accept that and then we really, really begin to become the woman or the man God has, has, uh, has dreamed about for us. That's how it works. Oriented, disoriented, and reoriented. I don't think there's any way to escape those. Those. The great Old Testament professor is right. Now, what might this look like in your life right now? You know, how might you become reoriented during a disoriented time? Well, uh, you uh, may reclaim mealtime. Uh, one thing we found in my house is um, to sit around the table and linger there has more meaning than it has in a long time. Uh, and so you, you sit down and, and you begin to share um, and you make, you make mealtime a sacramental time. Someone asked me the other day, you know, Pat, there's no Holy Eucharist in the church. What do we do? And I said, well, make every mealtime Eucharist. Anytime Christians are together and they break the bread, anytime. It's a sacramental act where two or three are gathered together. I am in the midst of you. And then as you feed one another, Christ is there. It's powerful. That's the Eucharist. It really is. We, we tend to highly stylize everything in, in church. But really, when you get down to it, it's, it's those acts which reveal a deeper, deeper truth about God. That's a sacrament. The second thing is get rid of diversions and begin to... And begin to um, and begin to, re, to reclaim a rhythm of life. Um, you know, I know many of us think we have a rhythm. I'm super disciplined. You know, I think I'm super disciplined. I mean, I get up every morning and I exercise and I do my reading and all. But then I found out I'm not as disciplined as I thought because I depended on diversions. I depended on going to that restaurant. I depended to make that shopping soiree. I depended to do this. I, I would divert myself all the time and therefore... I didn't have to be completely at home with myself. Reclaim a rhythm of life. You know, when the Lord spoke the, 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 uh, the creation into being, He took chaos and gave it order. He expects us to have order. And in that order, He begins to speak to us, even when we're in a disoriented time like this. And speaking of distractions, I'd say, I'd say you can get rid of some of those in your house now. You know, in Kay's home, her mother would not allow the TV to be turned on uh, until 5 p.m. She persisted in that her entire life. And even though there are three teenagers in Kay's house, there was always a certain sanctity about her home. There wasn't noise, background noise all the time. Uh, and I always found it to be a peaceful place. You can get rid of some distractions, whatever they might be. And finally, confront the sin that rises to the top. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, because I know it to be true in my own life, as we get quiet, as the diversions are not there, as we cannot distract ourselves, as we cannot entertain ourselves ad infinitum, your sins will be made known to you. Confront them. Confront your sins, and God who is faithful will release you of those sins. His righteousness is enough, and His power is enough to cleanse you from that and me from that and set us on higher ground. 
And all that leads me to the most important thing I have to say to you tonight. And that is um, to continue to try to do it on our own is foolhardy. It's like standing in that elevator and pushing that button that's connected to nothing in a frenetic way. It won't get us anywhere, up or down. Because you remember what Paul said. If the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, that spirit has made its home in you, then God will surely bring new life to our mortal body.